0: Everyone's talking about balloons and UFOs in the sky, but when you talk to people who investigate all the creepy ways we spy on each other, you know what they're concerned about? Spyware. The spyware industry is booming, and it's getting way more sophisticated. Like, there now exists technology that can hack somebody's phone without them even needing to click some deceptive link.
1: There are other more powerful tools that the Chinese government and other governments around the world have access to uh, to gain data, not only about the U.S. government and missile silos, but about individuals and their behaviors and their personal lives. And these are just as important for the discussion as surveillance tools of a government to spy on other governments.
0: Spyware, everywhere, all at once. Coming up on Today Explained.
2: Cut your wireless bill to $15 a month at mintmobile.com slash explained. Upfront payment of $45 required equivalent to $15 a month. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details.
3: Hey, Jimbo, I'm going to heat up some pasta just in case, okay? You need your energy.
4: Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business, and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day.
0: Today Explained, Sean Ramos when you want to talk about spyware, you want to talk to Mark Mazzetti. He's an investigative reporter for The New York Times. With all the balloons buzzing around and the UFOs being shot down from the sky, we asked him
1: what's at stake with spyware, which he seems to take a lot more seriously. What's at stake is the privacy of every single person who carries around a smartphone, and that is billions of people. And I think a lot of times when you're talking about hacking and Cyber war, um, there is this abstract quality of you know one giant computer hacking another giant computer or a nuclear reactor in, in Iran. Uh, things that have really big stakes, but it's I think hard to get people's heads wrapped around it. Um, but if you think about how this weapon works, it's able to invade the phone of every single person carrying one around, and that's most people these days. And what's on people's phone? It's your entire life. It's your messages. It's your photos. It's your videos. It's your chats. It's things that you have deleted already are still accessible to some of these tools. And so it's a new way to think about surveillance. If you think back 10 years and you think about the Edward Snowden disclosures, we were talking about bulk surveillance carried out by the U.S. government millions and millions of phone calls and metadata stored on giant computers. This is targeted surveillance, so it's individual people who are targeted by whomever bought these tools, but in that way it's much more relatable. People can understand the power and what's at stake by sort of explaining that everyone potentially is a target.
0: So. What are the most sophisticated tools out there right now? Help us understand what this market looks like.
1: Well, for a long time, there was pretty much one company that had a near monopoly on this tool. And the company is called NSO, and it's an Israeli firm. They made a hacking tool called Pegasus. You know, Early part of the 2010s was when Pegasus was developed and they started marketing. And what Pegasus offered was this zero-click hacking technology. What that means is, you don't have to get a phishing link on your email or text and you click on it thinking it's one thing, but it's actually someone trying to invade your phone.
4: The main challenge for spyware is to find a vulnerability in the targeted phone, particularly as modern smartphone security protection techniques have developed significantly. Pegasus managed to advance this capability considerably to be able to penetrate various kinds of smartphone.
1: This is a technology that uh, you don't have to do anything and it can invade your phone and start extracting every bit of data on the phone. The user receives a call from an unknown caller through the internet and the phone gets hacked even without answering the phone call. After that, Pegasus spyware is installed on the targeted phone, taking full control of the device.
2: It's effectively a very powerful wiretap. It can also be used to spoof messages, to to read encrypted messages, in fact, a lot of the uh, inspiration or the driving force for this type of service, this type of technology, comes from the fact that a lot of people are using end-to-end encrypted communications for chat It can messages.
3: turn on the microphone, turn on uh, the camera, and also uh, investigate emails that are on
1: that t- device as well. There's one thing I can kind of sort of give as a relatable anecdote here, and that was sort of how NSO got started. I think a lot of us have dealt with our IT staff in our company. And sometimes when you're having a problem with your laptop, your IT staff will remotely get into your laptop and work on it. I hate it. I hate it when they do that. It's totally creepy. Right, and so you can see your, your mouse moving around and, and, and they're clicking on things. And, and this was actually how NSO got its start. This sort of very mundane technology tool which allowed remote access to laptops by IT firms, then they sort of re-engineered it and well, there's a lot more powerful uh, ways to use this that could be coveted by government users. Hmm. And that was the ability to remotely access people's smartphones. Now, of course, 2010 was really when smartphones were beginning to take off. Of course, the iPhone was introduced not long before that. And so this is when NSO started seeing its market for its products explode. But NSO eventually becomes a pretty
0: controversial cybersecurity outfit, yeah?
1: Yes, that's right. So NSO starts marketing itself to governments around the world as a law enforcement and intelligence gathering tool for spy services and police services. So if you buy this tool, Pegasus, you can chase bad guys. You can go after terrorist networks. You can bring down pedophile networks. You can get drug kingpins. And that was, uh, you know, very alluring for governments. And the first big client that NSO got was the government of Mexico. And famously, uh, Pegasus was used in the capture of the notorious drug kingpin El Chapo. It's been reported that Mexican authorities
3: used Pegasus to capture drug lord Joaquin Guzman, better known as
1: El Chapo, by tapping the phones of a few people he talked to while he was on the land. But in a case we've seen it time and time again, they've used it for its own law enforcement intelligence gathering purposes. But governments, including the Mexican government, began using it, expanding the use of Pegasus to go after human rights activists, journalists, dissidents. It was this powerful tool that could be used for good effect, but could be dramatically abused by governments. The Mexican government was the, the sort of first case of that. And then we started seeing this model play out over the course of a decade. Jamal Khashoggi thought the messages he sent the fellow Saudi dissident were secure, cloaked in WhatsApp security. Instead, the messages were an open book. So was the entire phone, allegedly infected by Pegasus, a powerful piece of malware from the Israel-based NSO group it led to one scandal after another. And to your question, this is kind of how NSO and Pegasus uh, got this notorious reputation. And how long is it
0: before the U.S. relationship with this software, with this firm becomes adversarial?
1: I mean, it takes 10 years or so. As we reported, uh, the U.S. government was quite interested in this technology. In 2018, the FBI purchased a license for Pegasus and installed it in a a facility the FBI uses in New Jersey to sort of test it out, see it, A, kind of like see how it works and see how adversaries might use it. But over time, as we reported, the FBI began to consider, well, how might we use it? How could we use Pegasus to go after our targets? How could we use the fruits of Pegasus in our investigations? How would we represent in court that someone was arrested with the use of spyware? It's not until the end of 2021, so it's the first year of the Biden administration, when the White House announces.
4: US has blacklisted an Israeli company that makes Pegasus spyware, which has allegedly been used by governments to hack into the phones of political rivals, journalists, activists, and lawyers.
1: It puts NSO and another Israeli tech firm called Candiro on a commerce department blacklist, which means that no American tech firms can do business with those two Israeli firms. The idea was to kind of starve those firms. So, you know, if you're Amazon or you're Dell and you would normally sell to NSO to keep NSO afloat, laptops, cloud storage, microchips, whatever, what have you, they're now banned from selling to NSO. They announce that uh, there's going to be further steps taken to sort of rein in some of these weapons. The Congress also acts uh, to restrict... American government use of foreign spyware. The nature of these foreign spyware tools makes them exceptionally hard to track and combat. And that's precisely why the United States needs to put a greater emphasis on this threat. So it's not the National Security Agency developing its own hacking tools. It's the National Security Agency buying off-the-shelf commercial spyware by Israeli firms or firms from another country, because they pose potential counterintelligence risks. So what do I mean? If the American government buys an Israeli software, there's concern that if it's installed in U.S. government networks, there might be some kind of backdoor Trojan horse that could allow that foreign government to sort of burrow into American computers and extract information. This is the concern inside the U.S. government right now.
0: So the Biden administration comes in, they say these tools are really dangerous, they can be used for nefarious purposes, and, and that's the end of the United States' use of, of foreign
1: spyware? If only. <laughs> it's not, uh, because the United States has kind of been both arsonist and firefighter in this whole drama. On one hand, they're trying to put out the fires that have been spreading around the world and th- with the use of these tools, but they're also using it. This is the tension that I think is inherent in the story.
0: More tension, more Mark, in a moment on
2: Today Explained. Support for this episode comes from Mint Mobile. There's a lot to love about your cell phone. It gets you safely from point A to point B, it can capture some of life's most important memories. Hey, it even does cat memes. But when it comes to your cell phone bill, those warm and fuzzy feelings are nowhere to be found. Enter Mint Mobile.
3: Enter mom, knock, 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 knock. Honey, Jimbo, I'm coming in.
2: Mom, you can't keep barging into my recording studio like this. (sighs) Honey, recording studio, you mean your bedroom?
3: Oh, oh, it is a mess in here. Uh, Time for a vacuum, just quick, quick vacuum. Hey, can you just give me 10 minutes to finish this? What are you doing in here? What is a Mint
2: Mobile? They do cell phone plans for $15 a month. Huh, well that's too good to be true.
3: I know a scam when I see one, honey.
2: It's not a scam. Look here. Plans come with unlimited talk and text.
3: And high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Oh, oh, that's something. Then I'd have to get a new phone, though, and put all my numbers in there. Uh, That's too much work. Forget it.
2: No, Mom, you can keep your phone and all your contacts with any Mint Mobile plan. It's really easy. Huh. Same number? Yeah, same number. Okay, so I'm just gonna finish this ad now. Pretend I'm not even here. Not even here. You're standing between me and the computer. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Cut your wireless bill to fifteen bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash explained. Upfront payment of forty-five dollars required. Equivalent to fifteen dollars a month. Uh, Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Mom, the vacuum! The vacuum You never call. That's because I live here, Mom. Hmm.
4: Support for Today Explained comes from Indeed. Hiring can be difficult. You can hope and pray and ruminate on how to find the perfect candidate, or you can turn to something more reliable, a smart piece of technology like Indeed's matching engine. According to Indeed, that matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences for job candidates, so it becomes more accurate over time. The more you use it, the better it gets. Indeed also lets you ditch some of the busy work, scheduling, screening, messaging. According to Indeed data, they have over 300, 150 million global monthly visitors they also did a survey that showed 93 percent of employers agree that indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites listeners of today explained will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash today explained you can go to indeed.com slash today explained Let them know you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Today Explained. Terms and conditions do apply. Need to hire? Asks Indeed? You need Indeed.
0: Today Explained, we are back with Mark Mazzetti, Washington correspondent at the New York Times. A minute ago, he told us the United States is trying to play both arsonist and firefighter in the fight against spyware. Sure, they've sworn off NSO Group, but what about its competitors? We asked Mark how many options are out there now for nations that want to do this kind of hacking.
1: Well, there's enormous opportunity around the globe for this kind of technology because I think as we've also seen with weapons proliferation over time, if you squeeze in one area, there's going to be proliferation in others. So I think what we saw with the Biden administration's crackdown on NSO and another firm, Candero, experts say, well, that's, that's good. That, you know, that, that's potentially a good step. But don't think that this isn't going to just create opportunities for others. So what we've seen in another case is there's a firm called Intellexa Uh, which is run by a former Israeli general and it has been wrapped up in a scandal in Greece.
0: Where the government is facing mounting pressure over a phone tapping scandal. It's alleged that the spyware software called Predator was planted on people's mobile phones, including journalists and the leader of an opposition party.
1: I should say that the Greek government has denied this, but there has been mounting evidence public that at least some elements of the Greek government had some knowledge of the use Of predator. So the reason why this is, I think, is significant is one of the things we've reported on is that the Israeli government kept a really tight control over where Pegasus, uh, the original tool, got exported. And in a way, the Israeli government saw this as a weapon like any other, as a sort of tool of the state. It would sell to governments like India, like Panama, like Mexico. And gradually what you saw was those governments turn their foreign policy more towards Israeli interests when they had been either against Israel or neutral. Now, in the current context, as Israel and the Israeli government you know, might lose some control, others enter the vacuum. So when I brought up Intalexa and this former Israeli general, he's operating outside of Israel. The Israeli government doesn't have control over whom Intalexa sells its products to. And so you're seeing these weapons kind of get out into the wild. And you know, however you think of whether Israeli control of those weapons was a good or bad thing, now we're seeing you know, that sort of regime break down And I think we're seeing a future where everyone's scrambling to get control of their own versions of these powerful tools.
0: And how is the United States playing the arsonist and the firefighter in this moment? How are they using these tools at present? How do we know?
1: Well, the DEA is using a tool. It's called Graphite. It's made by an Israeli firm called Paragon. And, you know, we put this question to the U.S. government, put it to the White House and said, "Okay, you... On one hand, said, you know, NSO and its ilk are bad and it's, you know, dangerous to have the proliferation of these weapons. And yet, another part of the US government is using a very similar tool. So, what gives? And, you know, the answer is well, in this case, this other company, Paragon, which makes graphite, hasn't had its tools used uh, or abused for bad effects. It hasn't been used against human rights activists, journalists, et cetera, the way Pegasus has. So, you know, we're monitoring closely, but for right now, the U.S. government still can use this. So, you know, it's not as if the U.S. government has taken a firm, hard and fast stance against using this. It's, in fact, sort of carved out at least one example where it's okay for the U.S. government to use it.
0: You know, the names of these <laughs> companies and these tools all sound like they could be villains in, in sci-fi movies or... Yeah, every, every, every firm sounds like a Bond movie villain. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, it's like Graphite over at Paragon and Pegasus over at NSO Group and, and Intellexa.
4: I want you to know this is nothing personal. It's purely business.
0: <laughs> what do these firms have in common and, and, and what, what makes them different?
1: Well... I think that the, the fascinating thing about this particular sector is how much it was dominated and still to a large degree is dominated by Israel. Hmm. As I said, we, you know, sort of NSO sort of got the ball rolling here. But what you found was a cadre of experts who came out of the Israeli military with these very special skills uh, to do offensive hacking. People do their, you know, required mandatory military service in Israel and then go out into the workforce as former spies and military people in the United States do, and they try to see where their skills are marketable. What they found was they were, came out into the market at a time when there was a demand for what they did inside the military. So Israel kind of, in a way, cornered the market with NSO, Kandiru, other firms to do offensive hacking. And a very specific kind of hacking, which is targeting people's mobile phones. The example I've used of Intellexa again is not inside of Israel, but it's made up of a lot of former Israeli military hackers and a former top general who Israel can no longer control. Hmm. So I think that's the one sort of unifying thread of these companies. Now I shouldn't say it's all Israeli, because there's been another example of a firm based in the United Arab Emirates called Dark Matter. It's since changed its name. And one of the interesting things about Dark Matter was that they recruited a lot of American hackers, former NSA, former CIA people, to come to the UAE and basically develop that technology to run offensive hacking operations against... Alleged enemies of the UAE. So it's not just the Israelis that are doing this. There's a lot of Americans who have had these skills they learned in the US government and the spy services who are then, you know, become sort of cyber mercenaries. Now, I should say, you know, the US government is trying to, the best they can, crack down on Americans going overseas and sort of selling their services to foreign governments because you know, the American government sees this information they hold in their heads kind of as proprietary. You know, you learned this in the U.S. military, the CIA, the NSA. You can't just sell it to a foreign government, but it's very difficult to control. Um, It's one hand to say, okay, you can't go sell a tank to a foreign government, but it's another thing to say, well, you can't go sell knowledge you have in your head. It's much more difficult to regulate. Is all that to say that there are no rules around this kind of technology? The rules are murky. And um, yes, there are, I would say there are rules that are trying to be developed to govern, to regulate how people use this kind of information that they gained in the military and the intelligence services of the United States and what they can do with it once they're out. But it's not something that people can easily agree on. And- I think that it's going to be very difficult to certainly have any kind of international regimes governing this type of activity. Going back to the phenomenon of the fact that governments around the world are very eager for this information. They're eager for this knowledge. One of the interesting things about these tools is it's had what we've called this sort of democratization effect. Hmm. It's democratized spying. You know, these very advanced surveillance tools once were in the hand of a very small number of wealthy, advanced countries. But now that it's available commercially to buy sort of off the shelf, governments around the world, small governments, poor governments, you know, they all basically have access uh, to similar tools. And, you know, this democratizing of spying is not necessarily a good thing. I'm glad this story has a happy ending in which we're all doomed. (laughs) Let's hope not, but I think that raising attention to this is important because I think that we're still at the beginning of this. And I don't want to draw an analogy too far, but sort of the the birth of nuclear weapons and the atomic age created around it a whole set of rules about when would possibly anyone ever use them. They were so powerful that basically people decided, well, basically you couldn't use them.
0: Every
3: man woman and child lives under a nuclear sword of Damocles hanging by the slenderest of threads capable of being cut at any moment by accident or miscalculation or by madness. The weapons of war must be abolished before they abolish us.
1: Now you have this class of weapons that are so easy to deploy. With so, so little consequences for the government that deploys them, they're in some ways almost more dangerous because they can proliferate so easily. Now. this has happened for decades, right? Wiretapping has gone on for a a, a long time. Governments have, have used surveillance powers and abused surveillance powers for a very long period of time. I think that what's different here, of course, is the ease with which they can do it, and that in many cases there aren't real repercussions. And we've still, to my knowledge, only known of governments uh, using and deploying these tools, but is there a scenario down the road where you saw you know, criminal organizations, corporations, um, you know, private individuals having access to this for non-government use? I don't think it would be out of the question at all, and I think that's where the awareness of the power of these tools um, is important, and um, to have real discussions about you know where this is going.
0: Mark Mazzetti, Washington investigative correspondent for The New York Times. His latest opus on spyware, written with the help of a few colleagues, is called How the Global Spyware Industry Spiraled Out of Control. Our program today was produced by Amanda Llewellyn. It was edited by Matthew Collette, fact-checked by Laura Bullard, and buttered up One Last Time by Afim Shapiro. It's Today Explained.
2: What are you doing in here? This is my room. Uh, nothing. Nothing. I'm doing nothing. Wait a minute. Are you recording? You're, are you uh, recording? Uh, I'm almost done.
3: Just just let me finish. I'm on a roll. Okay. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash explained. Upfront payment of $45 required, equivalent to $15 a month. Right, that's 15 times 3. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See
1: Mint Mobile for details.
2: Okay, that was actually pretty good.